0: Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Gaia land by me, Liam Miller, he is a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. Love, Rinse, Repeat is uh, warmly uh, supported by Uniting Mission and Education and uh, if you want to check out more about what they've got going on, including their upcoming Preach Fest, check out the notes below. I have a wonderful guest today joining me from across the pond in New York, Brett Crutch. Welcome, Brett.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to get to talk to you today.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to to get into this conversation. For those who don't know, Brett is a scholar of religion at New York's New York University Center for Religion and Media, where he serves as editor of The Revealer, a monthly online magazine about religion and society. He is an expert on religion and LGBTQ history and is the author of Dying to be Normal, Gay Martyrs and the Transformation of American Sexual Politics from Oxford University Press. Uh, and, was, and the book was actually a 2020 Lambda Literary Award finalist for Best LGBTQ Nonfiction Book of the Year. So I'm really excited to talk about Dying to be Normal. I was just saying to Brett before, it's, I've really been loving uh, reading it. It's, it's it's uh, yeah. So I'm just curious, I guess, uh, for those who don't know anything about the book, it's kind of a, the book highlights you write through how, through the process of commemoration secular gay activists deployed protestant christian ideals to present gays as similar to upstanding heterosexuals and therefore as deserving of equal rights uh, it illuminates how religion contributed to the mainstreaming of gays through this you know use of of turning particular figures um, into into these martyrs so just giving people the broad strokes of i guess how you came to be interested in this idea, um, how you kind of, was it a pattern you started to think about noticing and then were like, let's see if this actually, this, this holds or um, yeah, how did that kind of process come about? And just, you know, then the, just a bit of that spiel of the book as a general thing. Sure, beginning. sure. Well, thank you
1: for your kind words about the book. I appreciate it. Um, so I was doing my PhD in religion and uh, was working on a very different topic about uh, queer Orthodox Jews. And um, the in the United States, there was a college student, a freshman who committed suicide, a gay college student who committed suicide by the name of Tyler Clemente. And one of the things that followed from that was an internet campaign called It Gets Better that some people may remember. It was started by um, the sex columnist Dan Savage and his husband, Terry Miller, and the message of it, which was incredibly popular, so lots of heterosexual people got involved, including President Obama, lots of celebrities. The message to LGBTQ adolescents was, uh, we know life might be bad, but stick it out and we promise you it will get better because it got better for us. And I, in spite of its popularity, I found that message troubling, confusing to make this um, declaration that for everyone life improves. Worry not about the traumas you're going through now. It will all just somehow, something will happen that will magically make adulthood great for all queer people. And uh, so I started thinking about what messages, what cultural messages, what common sense ideas allowed so many people to think, well, yes, obviously life gets better as you get older. And so a lot of that has to do, I think, with race and class. So then it was started by two white upper middle class men. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it has what I argue uh, some religious resonance packaged quite differently, just in secularized forms. And so Mm -hmm. one thing that I first started thinking about was how do some Christian ideas circulate in our culture without being named as Christian ideas? So the one that I thought applied to this It Gets Better idea was that of uh, redemptive suffering or redemptive sacrifice, that suffering or death can have a purpose and 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 life will improve because of that. But that's a particular um you know idea. It's not certainly one that we can say is universally agreed upon. And uh so the fact that so many people um were willing to accept it was what I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. So I became then intrigued by this idea of how might LGBT politics, religion, and death have been coexisting in the struggle for greater equality. And that took me then to look back at um, other prominent moments when a queer person's death captured the nation's attention and why others did not and what those things revealed.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. That. And I think that's helpful to get out of the beginning that you're not necessarily looking at You know the role of religious organisations or figures in the um, shaping of uh, the push for greater acceptance and equality. It's it's particularly the way religious ideas, particularly Christian Protestant ideas, were kind of adopted, um, subverted, changed, but engaged um, to push this through. I think that's really interesting, and so. you know, the other figures that you kind of talk about early on is Harvey Milk, and then you talk about Matthew Shepard and then Tyler Clinton you mentioned. Um, and and it's interesting to think about, I mean, there's so much to get into, but I think one thing that you're already kind of putting out there is that this story of a move for inclusion is necessarily, in this case, a story also of a push for exclusion, right. um, That that those who were um, highlighted and made prominent um, were done so because they could fit a narrative um, or at least could be um, manoeuvred to fit a narrative. And maybe we'll come up to more to that point too. But maybe just, uh, yeah, curious about, I guess, yeah, that that as a developer, you saw that kind of that, that interplay of inclusion and exclusion because, um, as you say, necessarily was about trying to appeal to this kind of particular picture of what a normal um, American citizen is and, right. and, why, and that being the basis of why we should care.
1: Exactly. So I, I came to think of it exactly as you said it, that the process by which um, certain people within the LGBT community mainly cisgender gay men and women came to be regarded as just normal citizens in the fabric of the United States, that that process was also really one of exclusion and that there were people who were further marginalized so that other people could have greater social acceptance and greater legal standing. And so Um, Right. The book looks at this. It's really bookended by a two decade period. It's it largely starts in 1995 um, and then goes to 2015. So 1995 is when medicines were introduced in December 95 that changed the AIDS epidemic, which largely allowed which largely allowed LGBT activists to focus on things other than AIDS. And it allowed. Uh, gay and bisexual men to not sort of carry the stigma of having been harbingers of a plague through sexual frivolity. Uh, And then in 2015 is when same-sex marriage became legal throughout the United States. Uh, And then the book's epilogue looks at um, the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting, which was the greatest uh, mass murder of LGBT people in the country's history, and what's notable about that is that it's really the first time where there was national recognition and mourning of queer people of color, that there had Mm -hmm. been attempts earlier by activists to turn people into someone like a Matthew Shepard or a Harvey Milk you mentioned, but those attempts largely never reached the same level of prominence Mm -hmm. um, that these overwhelmingly white overwhelmingly gender normative, um, overwhelmingly Christian, or in the case of Harvey Milk, who was Jewish, made to look like he was Christian. Um, And those are the narrow parameters that seem to produce empathy and concern among heterosexuals. So um, there, you know, there've been lots of, unfortunately, LGBTQ people who've been murdered, who died from AIDS or who committed suicide. But what I was really interested in is who were the ones who really got heterosexual people's notice to want to do something to change the conditions of the country.
0: Thank you for that. So, yeah, so I'm curious now to talk about a bit about that um, what the somewhat the process that needed to happen in order to make some of these uh, victims um, to grab that attention, to be palatable. Um, so as you said, you mentioned Harvey Milk. We'll start there. Um, so you kind of bring up two particular things that are kind of pushed aside or, or somewhat, you know, um, removed from the legacy of, of, of Harvey Milk in, in the way that he is presented. Uh, and the Milk is an interesting category because you kind of talk about both the initial... Um, impact of his death and then the way his figure and, and legacy was revived as this um, right. gay MLK right. later and, and really yes. picked up. And so those two things are his Jewishness that you just mentioned. Um, so, you know, and you, and you draw out the fact that he is, you know, through artwork represented as this kind of crucified mm-hmm. Christ-like figure um, later. And then also his, um, you know, that he was engaged with, you know, multiple sex partners and, 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 and the like. Um, That that his sex life becomes um, either kind of pushed to the side or or um, just made a bit less of a prominent thing, and it becomes much more about his legacy and particularly his death. You know, Mm -hmm. kind of um, mutes all other details of his life. So yeah, I'd be curious about a bit about that process of, as I say, to make a martyr is you know it's almost yeah it is a thing you make in some respect as much as recognise.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, the first thing that I learned from other people who've looked at martyrs like MLK and then throughout, you know, really Christian history and other religious traditions is that martyrs are really malleable and they often Mm -hmm. don't represent the person who lived. They often are used by people in the present day to make various political arguments. So Mm -hmm. martyrs change over time and can represent different things. And one of the first things that intrigued me about Milk, so Milk, who was um, one of the first uh, gay Americans elected to public office, he wasn't the first, there were women, lesbians who predated him, but he was one of the first, is that, um, you know, he sort of had local recognition in San Francisco, which was where he was an elected official, and Uh, You know, he had some national recognition, but his popularity explodes many years after his death in this two decade period that I focused the book on after 1995. And one of the first things that intrigued me about him was that in 2003, the first LGBT history museum opened in the United States and its very first exhibit was of the suit that he was wearing when he was shot to death and they the inaugural exhibit at the first LGBT history museum was of Harvey Milk's suit hung as a cross um uh for everyone to come in and see and and the I forget the title of the but it was something about the um the life and afterlife of a modern day gay martyr and so my first sort of Thoughts about this were: Why would anyone? Why would the curators of this LGBT exhibit turn a secular Jew mm. into this um, Christianized memorial? And then I found that that was happening constantly in mm. in the ways that he was memorialized in plays and operas. He was constantly being crucified and resurrected, and that this. The familiarity of these Christian motifs seemed to be a way that people could position Milk as, as you described him, the gay MLK, which is eventually how activists started to use him as a figure that might have resonance uh, for heterosexuals. And so one of the arguments that I make in the book is that to make him palatable to a broader audience was to downplay the particularities of his Jewish ethnicity. He was a secular Jew. He was able to converse in some Yiddish. He um, participated in Jewish holidays, like Passover Seder. Um, a lot of that gets really downplayed when he becomes the gay MLK so that, those, so that he can function more as like the sort of American everyman who happens to be gay. And then what also gets downplayed is not only his own individual, personal, sexual, and romantic life that included, you know, having more than one sexual or romantic partner at a time during some points of his life, but also that he had developed a sexual ethic that actually reflected some of the conversations around opening up sexual ethical possibilities in the 1970s that that for Milk and for others whom I think he was in conversation with, that, that monogamy could be rather... Um, limiting and furthers this idea that you possess someone or you are Mm -hmm. possessed by someone. And he felt that if everyone could be honest with everyone else, that it was possible to love more than one person at the same time. And if you were able to share more than your love with more than one person at the same time, and other multiple people were able to share their love with you, that that actually could have an impact on the community, Mm. that that sharing of romantic and sexual love would have um, ramifications on how we treat one another if we're not constantly paired off. But that has been almost totally obliterated in terms of how he becomes uh, an emblem, in large part, I think, because just a few years after his death, we enter the AIDS crisis, and gay men in particular were so... um, vehemently vilified for having, um, you know, for being seen as being sexually promiscuous and, and and through that sexual multi-partnerism that they brought about this plague that then spread throughout. And so I think it's a reaction to the stigma that gay men had invited a deadly disease through uh, having sex with multiple people rather than monogamously, that um, it just became not possible for activists to emphasize that sexual ethic in the wake of this deadly epidemic.
0: Mm. Yeah, think of that and I think, because as you say, like so much of it is about how do you, how were how these figures employed to appeal to right. those outside? Um, right. And as you say, you know, about a few of the figures in the book, it's, it's kind of pointed out that it's like, Look, if it weren't for one aspect of their identity, they would be embraced. You would, they would be the person you would, you know, love to have in your life and as a friend or a son or. Uh, right. you whoever, know, And it's this right. one. It's one thing um, that we're asking, you know, and and but that obviously means you have to then show, you know, that everything else looks like how you expect it to look or would right. it to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that's. Um, you were you were talking then about like you know so yeah obviously the the aids crisis and and the stigma and, and and the shadow that that cast obviously informs so much of this and it's interesting like to stay with milk but also i guess kind of moving towards shepherd in some way the way that their deaths um could be kind of held up as um they were in no way responsible for their death mm-hmm. right they someone mm-hmm. beyond them came and, and killed them um whereas you know the the language around those who were dying from AIDS was you know that they are in some ways because of this lifestyle responsible right. you know right. um so I guess yeah in, interesting to, to, to talk a little about that about and and the way I guess that that somehow do you feel that then somehow confirmed or at least gave credence to that notion then that there were some deaths yes that were um, people had more responsibility for compared to these ones you know by upholding those ones by centering those ones you are in some ways um, giving credence to the voices that are saying it Mm. about the other community
1: right I mean your point is exactly right that in order to be revered as a martyr it certainly seems that one has to be considered innocent and Mm. again these parameters for innocence are actually quite troubling if we want to have you know an embrace of of a diverse society and so You know, so Harvey Milk, he was very clearly murdered alongside the mayor of San Francisco. Um, And then we enter the AIDS crisis, and in spite of um, the in and in, we don't know the numbers exactly because so many people were not out at the time. AIDS outed many people. But the s- stats in the United States are that between 1981 and 1995, somewhere between 90 to 100,000 gay, and bisexual and trans Americans died out of a, about of a total of 350,000 in that first 15 years. And there wasn't a queer AIDS martyr. Uh, the person who was most regarded as the AIDS martyr was this teenage, white, uh, Christian adolescent um, by the name of Ryan White. I mean, his last <laughs> name was literally white. <laughs> and um, he was a hemophiliac. So he had gotten uh, HIV from a blood transfusion. And um, he, uh, his school refused to let him return to school. He had been sick mm. and then he got better and the school said, you can't come back out of their fear that he could be contagious and so his mother sued and it became national news and what was so um revealing about the ryan white case was that for years as gay and bisexual men were begging for the country to care you know people like larry kramer who are just screaming Mm. to get attention Mm. that this is devastating people um uh, you know it largely fell on deaf ears but when uh, Ryan White's case became known, the reaction was so different. He got he became friends with lots of celebrities. Um, there was uh, made-for-TV movies about him, books about him, lots and lots of press. Um, when he died, the first lady at the time, Barbara Bush, attended the funeral. CNN broadcasted his funeral so that all Americans could participate in publicly mourning the boy with AIDS, which is what they called him. And so that, to me... Became uh, sort of a model of like, okay, so if you have to be like Ryan White for Americans to care you've got to find someone who is just really pure and we can't associate sex with them because of the stigma and so then enter Matthew Shepard in 1998 just a few years now after the worst of the American AIDS crisis when this image is starting to change now Ellen DeGeneres has come out a year earlier in 1997 Um, Will and Grace has just premiered so there's starting to be some pop culture changes Mm. often of um, you know, desexualized gay and lesbian characters, white gay and lesbian characters, middle class. Um, but then, so Matthew Shepard becomes and remains the LGBTQ death in the United States that has garnered the most attention. And he was a college student, he was 21, so legally an adult in the United States, but he looked much younger. He actually looked like Brian White. He was only about five foot, two inches tall. He weighed 105 pounds. So he looked like, you know, uh, a young adolescent and therefore Mm. could be desexualized. And activists described him, as you were mentioning earlier, earlier, like he could have been anyone's son or your little brother. Mm. And so this language served also to desexualize him. So any of that earlier stigma about gay men and being hypersexual and that leading to them being responsible for their own deaths. Now here you have this figure who we're told... Um, is not only quite young and like the next door kid, um, that he was also a practicing Protestant, an active member of his Episcopal church who had joined only two clubs when he started college, one for LGBT students and one for Episcopal students. Mm -hmm. And so um, not only is he white and middle class and in college and doing all the supposedly right things, but he's also a committed Christian, which gives now straight Americans this new image, because he becomes, for many people, the first image of a gay committed Christian. He certainly wasn't the first. You know, There were many others who had been in the press earlier, uh, but he becomes the one who gets the most national attention. Um, and so there were memorials of people and marches that included heterosexuals and straight politicians throughout the country, Um, And then the Laramie Project, which becomes this play about his murder, at one point was one of the most produced plays in the United States that went around the world. And so, right, so it's this idea that, you know, you have to be innocent in order to be accepted as someone whose whose death we should all pay attention to. And then how can activists use that for uh, political advantage? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really yeah well well laid out in that chapter of you know just just how much he could, you know fit every bill kind of thing in terms of okay great this is who we can use now and 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 one of the things you point out is just how quickly and immediately the connection of crucifixion um, of sacrifice of passion um, in the in the in the Christian religious term. Yeah. Um, you know, became like that wasn't something that, that was happening very quickly. Um right. and so much so that you kind of talk about how quickly people and, and I was thinking about this what you know because I think I was introduced to Matthew Schiffen through the seeing the Larry project um yeah. you know just a decade or more ago. Um and you know but just how many people think about him being actually tied up in a in a in a crucified pose, right? right? That that right. becomes the, the image even though he was actually in like a handcuffed pose. But Yes, it was was so interesting just that that wasn't even something that like slowly built in but was kind of seized upon immediately. And so I guess I want to kind of go think about that aspect of the linking of his death to Jesus. You also talk about Terence McNally and and Tony Kushner's playwrights who also make this connection of of Christ and Matthew Shepard as brothers, kin, you know, tied through this experience. And so I guess the effect that you start to do then is that, you know, went by making this connection to Christ, who for many people will have this connection of was born to die, essentially mm, was was mm-hmm. that was the path. You know, yes, Christ did a lot of things, but essentially yeah. it was all in movement toward his death, which right, was right. Le- led to life, salvific for others. And so, by making that, then there's you know a claim being made that this death has has meaning and a particular mm-hmm. kind of meaning has significance and almost in some way needed to happen in in, in okay. some way and i guess that there's a problematic <laughs> more that is kind of from in, in the way both that it takes away someone's actual life to make it about something more um yeah and just i'm just curious about how how you see that all playing a part in you know that the danger of almost ascribing a meaning because you, you talk about a bit with milk too that there's, you know, a documentary made about him, which starts with the death. So again, it's like mm-hmm. everything you're about to see about his life is about coming to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that's something even within Christian theological circles that people sometimes say, maybe we should think about the Jesus uh, thing differently. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, but just about that with, with, with Matthew Shepard in particular, that, that immediate kind of, kind of consuming the whole act into this um, image of sacrifice.
1: Right. And it, it, we have no idea if he wanted to be an icon or Mm -hmm. used for any sort of political things. And I say that with some trepidation because his mother has done lots of work for LGBT equality. And I think she may have had a sense of what he would want or not, but we don't actually know. And we can't really say that his death had a purpose. I mean, one could, but that it does have a certain religious undertone or overtone Mm -hmm. to it. And there are many people in other religious traditions or who are not religious at all, who, you know, would push back against this idea that death has to have meaning Mm. and that that actually can be quite um, damaging to people. If you always have to put meaning on traumatic and catastrophic events Mm. and doesn't allow us to fully then, untether all the things that lead to catastrophes and to horrific things. Um, And I think it just further speaks to, right, the immediate assumption that he was crucified, right? So he had been tied to a wooden fence. Uh, It was a wooden fence with crossed posts. And so there was this immediate assumption that he was in a crucified position and people ran with that. And I think that that again, speaks to how one of the ways that Christianity's sort of insidious dominance is the way it occupies how people think about how you memorialize and how you present um, emblematic figures to the masses. That this is a very, there's sort of, you talk in the book about the cultural currency of Christianity because it's so well known that you don't you can just sort of make these leaps and everyone's sort of on the same page and and that gives um, a political figure or martyr more power and and a broader audience
0: yes yes thank you I think you're right that you know it kind of is that um testament to that power that you know this whole book exists right like, yeah. that, that, that this move happened because people felt that you could make this appeal um and even for those who aren't Christian or, or whatever would would resonate with it and that it would have an, an impact um, yes yeah,
1: yeah. It, it matters you know a lot had been written about Matthew Shepard as being so prominent in largely because of race which is certainly mm-hmm. true his whiteness is 100% central to this but it's also quite important I think that he was a practicing Protestant, right? And Mm. had he been all the same figures, but Buddhist or an atheist, it just wouldn't quite have aligned right. There's it just that he not only died in a way that people could compare to Christ, but that he himself, Mm. um, we are told by the people who knew him, had a relationship with, with Christ and was committed to, Um, being a practicing Protestant um, really matters in terms of him being acceptable to such a broad audience and to people. You know, there were lots of articles that I put in the book where they would interview heterosexual adults who would say things like, you know, I felt like he could have been our son. And so for that to work, all of these things sort of had to either be a part of who he was or that he needed to be molded in a few ways to to be to look that and and one of the things that I say I think I say in the book is that as time went on people started to question the Matthew Shepard story as it had been initially told to the public as activists and the people you mentioned um, presented it that 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 he could have been killed not because he was gay but because there might have been an issue involved with drug dealing gone awry or something else Um, but, or that he may have had a sexual relationship with one or both of the killers and whatever. But for me, I was never interested because I don't think it's possible to uncover what actually happened, why he died. Um, For me, you know, all of these other reasons, it shouldn't matter if he had used drugs or if he had had a sexual relationship with these high school dropouts, you know, none of those things should mean that his death was less significant Mm -hmm. and it's concerning that the only way for so many people to care is if he fits this desexualized Christianized white middle-class model.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what, what comes through again and again in the book is that if you were training the American public to care for, Gay people and the causes of, of of gay rights and equality, but you train them by only recognizing a particular kind of person as mattering. Then, as you say, any time that someone tries to elevate a figure that is different, that is gender non-conforming or a person of color or poor right. or a drug, whatever it might be, it's it's right. going to be impossible. Um, and you you only really step forward in terms of you know, incremental gains for for those who, you know, as we've already talked about, would be on the top of the social hierarchy were it not for one. Um, right. aspect of their identity um one other thing you kind of talk about with with, with shepherd again which which imi- um, imitates kind of a religious motif a christian motif is um the amount of people who say he was the first gay person they ever met um and of course <laughs> met as in yeah found yeah, out about right. after he died like so they didn't actually right. met but right. but but it's almost these kind of you kind of talk about in the book these kind of the post-resurrection appearances of christ to people yes. to you know in that way that that and again, that kind of goes to that whole point of the um, the martyr being a malleable thing, um, and 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 yeah, being something that that you know exists in a t- in a way entirely separate from the actual um, life where they were breathing and uh, blood pumped through their veins.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, and it speaks to a particular moment there at the end of the 20th century where there's getting to be more mainstream representations of LGBT people in popular culture, but not quite yet. So if you weren't mm-hmm. tuned in to Will and Grace, if you weren't following Ellen, then here Matthew Shepard, write. for many people, they were like, oh, this is the first gay. And they were right. There's this, this is quote, the first gay person I ever met. But obviously you didn't meet him. Mm-hmm. The martyr version of him is not a real person. His mother even acknowledges this. In the um, preface to her book that she writes, she says something like... You knew him as Matthew. To me, he was Matt. Let me tell you about the real person. And this acknowledgement that in death, he very quickly became this other thing mm. and that that wasn't necessarily her son. Mm. Um, right. So, but it reminds me of sometimes, you know, when some Christians will say that. Um, you know that Jesus is is the only Jew they've ever known, and it's it's you know it's these
0: are not you don't actually know. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's scary. Um, yes, <laughs> um, and I think another thing that you know, so you, we've talked a bit about how like you know this you choose this period because it's the shift away from AIDS being the you know it's no longer the rallying has to be drugs into bodies, right? It's, it's you know we've it's right. come it's changed a bit to be and so, what it shifts, as we see, is around marriage uh, and around military uh, and around hate crimes, kind of thing. But, but particularly those first two, again, which which point to, I guess, why, like you know, kind of the monoga- monogamy becomes such an important part too. Um, and so, again, I was curious about, like you know, your, your thoughts on as you're looking at this whole project and and, and the different figures about how because um, there's been definitely been a fair bit of critique around the the singular focus almost around marriage equality right. um, and that's been the same in australia like i went to a um an event held with some of the original people who marched in the first mardi gras here when it was a riot before it was a uh, ride parade kind of thing yeah, yeah. And, and they kind of talk you know they're, they're all sort of 68 and they were young then so what they're maybe 50s 60s kind of now and kind of all talking about like you know marriage was just not the thing we were caring about at all. Um, yeah. But, you know, and, and to varying degrees, some were like, but you've got to support the kids and others were like, <laughs> and we still don't think, you know, it, it varied right. within. But, right. um, but you know, there's definitely been critique around that that becoming the singular focus and, and particularly the way that it, again, like the kind of the, the choosing of who gets martyred, um, privileges and highlights certain kinds of people in the LGBTIQ community and certain kinds of relationships within that. Um, and I'm just curious to think about, the, the, as you say, through that time period, that that relationship between that becoming the highlighted movement and the figures um, and, and, and the way martyrs function in that movement too.
1: Right. You, so one of the concerns that many people have expressed is that here in the United States, uh, here in 2021, you can get married everywhere if you, to someone of the same gender. But in more than half of the states within the United States, you can be fired from your job or evicted from your home for being LGBTQ, and you have no legal recourse then. You know, there are valid reasons. And so there are many people who felt like there are, um, you know, very sort of things like about housing and your livelihood that need to be dealt with first. Over marriage, and to your point, right—that that many people who are already, you know, doing fine, who are middle class, um, are going to benefit from marriage and not face the repercussions. That is, and is not true. I mean, there there are many reasons why people shifted and started to support marriage. AIDS is part of that story mm-hmm. because many people were unable to um, you know, visit their partners in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Many were unable to um, inherit what had mm-hmm. been their partners. Many were blocked by biological families from having anything to do with funeral. So there were a lot of ways in which marriage became, for many, sort of a, a simpler solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, At the same time, the push for queer people to be married came with this associated expectation, basically, that everyone would promise to be monogamous. Mm -hmm. That if, if marriage will be expanded to include two people of the same gender, that we cannot open Pandora's box and allow anyone to speak publicly about a marriage that involves any type of sexual relationship with more than two people and you know obviously this is a it's sort of like a public secret that heterosexuals have also not you know adhered to monogamy in lots of different ways it's often you know men are given more leeway or you know or um and a lot of sexual regulations are focused more on on women and what women have to do um but now the the burden of all of this was largely placed on on queer people to promise that they would be monogamous and so this in terms of the martyrs. So this is of course, as we talked about with Harvey Milk, why his sexual ethic had to be rewritten. Um, mm-hmm. Then you have Matthew Shepard, who's now becomes a desexualized adolescent who his image can be used for marriage, but he his sexual you know there's sort of mm-hmm. no representation of him as a sexual person. We're not told stories about him with boyfriends, uh, etc. Yeah. And then the next figure that you know I mentioned in the book, Tyler Clementi. Um, is a little more complicated because he was said to have been outed by his roommate um, when he was having a sexual encounter in their college dorm room and the the roommate had set up this camera to spy on him. So he was, um, you know, clearly someone who was queer and having sex Uh, But by that point in 2010, we've now moved along far enough that for many Americans, for many straight Americans, it seemed... Uh, within the realm of what's normal that a college student, gay or straight, mm-hmm. would engage in hookup culture, right? So college yeah. now, fun- you know, college functions as a sort of liminal space where people aren't expected <laughs> to adhere to only having one sexual partner that it's, like, and, and gay people got to be included in that. And it's sort of like you do that in college and then you'll move on through these natural steps of adulthood, and then you'll settle in a monogamous Mm. marriage. And so it was so that that him being someone who sex was part of his story, that that didn't affect him becoming uh, a martyr Mm. uh, speaks to now a broader cultural acceptance that uh, queer people in college are part of this idea that you're going to hook up
0: with people probably,
1: (laughs) and then you'll move on to appropriate monogamous marriages a little later.
0: Mm. And, it, and with him, it's like it's like, and it was happening within his private space. We, we you know we all think exactly. we should have that there. It wasn't being flaunted or gaudy. You know, it was that. It right. Was, that was yes. the betrayal. Um, you know that. Would, well, I wouldn't want that. You know mm-hmm. to be seen in my home. Oh, yeah, um, I think that's really. You know, thank you for that. I think that's helpful. So, I guess what, what you know, becoming kind of slightly slightly in delay on the plane. Um, and I think we've already kind of covered a lot of, you know, I guess what, why this book is important, not only in documenting a, a interesting um, uh, activist move, but why, you know, it shows the the, the impact it has, the, the choices that are made and the effects that has on a whole community. Um, I guess, is there any kind of parting what, you know, you know, as you're thinking as it moves outside of 2015 and going beyond and going forward, thoughts on the way, um, you know, lessons that people can be taking from from looking back at this 20-year period. Um, like mm. I know a lot of people have been thinking about, you know, a lot of the language and, and, and policing around COVID and, and the behaviour of people um, mm. and, and have been looking at, you know, similar ways that, you know, AIDS crisis and that, you know, was was talked right. about and that. But, but just curious about, yeah, any final kind of thoughts as you've been thinking through this book and even in the, you know, now a little bit of time that it's been out and, and engaged yeah. with um, thoughts that you have on, on you know, there, yeah, that those kind of be something that people can be keeping in mind as they, as they move forward in, in, in going, yeah, going forward.
1: I mean, I think one thing is that if you've only ever thought of LGBTQ politics and religion as opposing forces mm-hmm. and working in opposition, that for me, that overlooks. Uh, both historically and still to the present day, how religion has shaped so many of the parameters of who mm-hmm. gets to count as an acceptable citizen. And that certainly hasn't ended and it continues. And if we are always stuck in this binary of it's, you know, the religion, the religious people versus the queers, that that not only overlooks queer religious people, but it overlooks, you um, the power of so much of religion to still set the parameters of inclusion and and that's and it's quite powerful and in the united states context that so much of that is shaped by a, a certain type of protestant christianity and if we don't want protestant christianity to be what delimits who's acceptable how our sex lives should be. If we wanna think about more capacious, expansive forms of ethics and relationships, then we need to note um, how so much of this has framed uh, our political movements. Uh, And then I think the other thing is, you know, I have this one chapter on like sort of failed martyrs or attempts to Mm. get people who were people of color or who were trans to become well known. And I think that that is a project that is is remains underway Mm. and remains one that is quite complicated for, you know, for people to really care, not only to care that, for example, trans women of color. Um, are, are face threats of violence and actual violence routinely, but that if we only ever focus on death, this goes back to one of your earlier mm. questions, and how to make meaning of death, we also overlook all of the conditions of people who are living their daily lives that are not good and how we need to improve them. And it's those things that really need emphasis. And if we're always... So why I think it's important to, um, you know, make better known people of color for people of color and trans people who've been, who've died, I'm always nervous about the process when someone becomes a martyr and we only focus on death because Mm. it's the daily lived life of particularly trans people and those who are non-binary and queer people of color that we have to address in lots of different areas from schooling to prisons to healthcare and that too easily gets overlooked if we just turn people into martyrs.
0: I think that's really helpful and goes back to kind of the very beginning of the book about the you know very beginning of our conversations about the it gets better because you know that's a very loaded assumption that it does that um that all Gay people, as long as you stick in there, you'll get to participate fully in, in the, all the blessings and fruitfulness of this wonderful society in which we live. You know, like it, it becomes very. Yes. Yes. There yes. are lots of problematized assumptions there that only if you only live a little longer, you will live better. And it's like, well, as you said, not necessarily the case. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that and, and this wonderful conversation. I think folks, you know, we, we've kind of focused our conversation probably in the first couple of chapters today uh partly because you know you got to make choices when you're doing an interview but also because folks there's like a huge amounts we haven't even talked about you've even heard about reference to a chapter about failed martyrs we haven't even discussed that except for that last bit so <laughs> do go and get the book uh you know because it is it is a rich wonderfully written um really engaging and and helpful book. And so I really encourage you to go check it out. Dying to be normal uh, out now with Oxford University Press. Uh, Go and check it out. Uh, Brett, is there anything else you want to promote? How can people connect with you, your work, with The Revealer? Um, Yeah, what what else? Anything else you want to promote at this moment?
1: Sure, I'm on Twitter at Brett Crutch. And, uh, yeah, so I'm the editor of an online monthly magazine called The Revealer, uh, that looks at issues of religion and society, often how religion intersects with race, politics, and sexuality globally. Uh, and so um, people can go to therevealer.org.
0: Great. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you very much for, for joining us today. And um, yeah, we'll see you all next week, folks. Thanks for, thanks for coming on by.